Thank you, Miss Tammy Taylor. Thank you. Not only the spirit by which she lives her life and comes forth in her music ministry, but the quality and the excellence of the vocal control that she works her craft. You can't sing like that, not only without God's help, but without also practicing. And it reminds me, when you can hear beautiful words like that sung, of why Nashville is called Music City in the first place. It was not because of country music that we got that name. It was because of the Fisk Jubilee Singers that Nashville is known as Music City. And the way in which she sang that song took me back in my mind's eye concerning the excellence of those singers, how they toured Europe and sang before queens and kings who were so impressed with what they saw and what they heard. My God. Turning your Bibles to Joshua chapter 4, the Old Testament book of Joshua chapter 4. Only what you do for Christ will last. Joshua chapter 4, beginning at verse 4. The New King James reads as follows. Then Joshua called the 12 men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you, when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel. I'll call your attention to verse 6, where it says that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, what do these stones mean to you? With your prayers and with the help of the Spirit of God, I'd like to preach for a few moments on the subject of what do these stones mean? What do these stones mean? Let's pray. Father God, we come now to your word, your holy word. 
your inspired word, your inerrant word, your infallible word, your incredible word. Thank you, Lord, for Elder Paul simply reading the word before the offering because it spoke to our hearts. Thank you, Lord, that I can just read scripture for the next 15 minutes and that would be enough. But yet, Lord, you have also called us to expound upon the word, to teach it. Lord, would you help me teach your people? And would you give your people the ability to hear it and apply it? Yes, Lord, only what we do for you will last. So as we take a journey through history today, may we be, may we be reminded that you use ordinary men, women, boys, and girls who give you their yes, and you do the rest. So may we learn from history today and just make ourselves available. And Lord God, would you do more than we could ever imagine with our lives? For it's in Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen. What do these stones mean? These 12 stones that one leader from each of the 12 tribes was to go and retrieve from the dry riverbed of the Jordan and bring to the side of the promised land so that Joshua could set up a monument in Gilgal of these 12 stones taken from the dry riverbed of the Jordan so that in generations to come, the children who grow up can look at the stones and ask a simple question. Grandpa, grandma, what, what do these stones mean? And it was up to the parents, the grandparents, to teach their children about the history of Israel. It was up to the parents to take those stones and tell the story of how God dried up the Jordan River. He stopped it from flowing at flood stage so that the Joshua generation could cross over into the promised land on dry land, just as Moses' generation 40 years prior had walked through the Red Sea with walls of water on both sides and dry land underneath them. And the message is what God did for past generations, he can do for your generation. Because if you know what God has done, children, it'll give you hope and encouragement for what God can do. So when your children ask, tell them your history. Tell them how your history is under the God of history and history is his story, and he is redeeming history to not only get his people where he wants them in the land, but he's also moving his people to get them where he wants them so that they might encounter the Christ, the Messiah, who would come down through 42 generations from the tribe of Judah to be the Lion of Judah, to be the Savior of the world. So you grab those stones because, in a sense, 
those stones can talk. Those stones speak. They tell of the history. Those stones talk. And talking stones should not be a surprise to us because Shakespeare once wrote, and this, our life, exempt from public haunt, finds tongues in trees, books in the running brooks, sermons in stones, and good in everything. And so Shakespeare is saying, if you just look at creation, creation speaks. And even stones have sermons within them. But then we know Jesus said in Luke 19.40, I tell you that if these should remain silent, because when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, his disciples were going crazy, honoring him, Hosanna. They were shouting out, glory is he, glory to God. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the haters, I, I, I mean the Pharisees, said to Jesus, can you just tell your people to keep it down? It, it don't, we don't need all of that right now. And Jesus says, I tell you that if these should remain silent, the stones would immediately cry out. We'll have a rock concert up in here <laughs> because creation gives me praise. And people who have been made in my image and born again after the image of the Son of God, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So these 12 stones spoke. They spoke of the history of Israel and they connected the dots of their history. And so when generations would come and they would see the stones and there would be oral tradition until the writings would catch up, they would tell the stories of their great God who could do wonders, miracles, and signs because he loves this special and peculiar people. Now, in the New Testament, the Jewish people knew their history well. And this is seen clearly in two sermons. One preached by Stephen, a deacon of the first church, and the other preached by the gospel globetrotter Paul himself. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen is preaching to his own people. And in order to share the gospel with his people, he walks them through their history, their history that they all know. And in Acts 7, he tells them about Abraham and how God chose Abraham and how Sarah couldn't have children, but there was a promise on their lives. And, and he begins to walk them through their history. And he's dealing with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, the patriarchs, the 12 tribes and the kings. And, and he's going and he's sharing all this history without a note in his hand. Because it's in his mind, it's in his heart. He knows their history because their history connects them to God. And he walks them all the way up to when Solomon built the temple in Acts 7. He, talks, he tells the story. But he quickly reminds the people that although Solomon built the temple, God does not dwell in temples made by hands. Then he shifts and he says to the crowd, you guys are hard-hearted and stiff-necked 
and you resist the Holy Spirit always just like your forefathers did when they rejected the prophets who foretold of the just one who was to come. And the Bible says as he began to preach about Jesus, how everything led to Jesus. And he said, the one that you just killed, the one you just betrayed, is the Son of God. The Bible says they were cut to the heart. They gnashed on him with their teeth. They, uh, they, and they picked up stones, took him outside the city, and they stoned him. And as he was being stoned, he looked up to heaven and said, I see the Lord standing at the right hand of the throne of God. They closed their ears, continued to pelt him with stones. And right before he died, he said, oh, Lord, do not charge this sin against them. And he died. From giving a sermon that spoke of the history of his people that led to Jesus. Paul comes along in Acts 13, does the same thing, and he tells the history of the Jewish people. And this is convicting to me because I find that as these two men know their stones and can connect the dots of their history, not many people can connect their history the way Jewish people can. Not many of us know our history, whether we're European, uh, whether we're African, whether we're Native, uh, Japanese. We, we don't always connect and know our history. So this tells me that history is God's, uh, how do I put this? God is involved in history. Providence is when God is working and you don't necessarily see him at work. It's the hand of God in the glove of history, providence, working things together so that he gets people and nations where he wants them for his glory. So history is his story. So studying history is one way to worship and honor and thank God because he's the God of our fathers. But too often I, I was told, don't study black history don't talk about black history. There's almost a shame attached to if you want to study black history. But God is the God of history for all people. And when you can connect the dots, or should I say the stones, you not only find him, but hopefully you find his son, Jesus Christ. And if I were to connect the dots this morning or the stones, of my people's history in America. As I look at these examples in scripture, if I were to tell the story so that people could find God and his son Jesus, connecting those dots and those stones might sound a little something like this. In late August of 1619, there was a stone over 20 Negroes in a Dutch trading ship arrived in Jamestown, Virginia, thus beginning our midnight of enslavement in this country. So 400 years ago, late August, over 20 Negroes arrived in Jamestown, Virginia. Slavery began. In 1770, there was another stone 
an escaped slave of African and Native American descent named Crispus Attucks was killed by the British in the Boston Massacre, making him the first person killed in the American Revolution. Attucks died for a nation that failed to recognize and value his personhood. In 1857, another stone, a slave named Dred Scott unsuccessfully sued for he and his wife's freedom after his owner took them into free territories. His case went to the Supreme Court where it was decided that slaves were property and the Constitution never meant for them to be citizens where the slave were free. In 1861 of April, another stone, the Civil War began between the North and the South primarily over the issue of the enslavement of black people. In 1863, a stone, President Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation, a wartime decree that freed three million slaves in the 11 rebel states. At the Council of Frederick Douglass, Lincoln allowed 186,000 former slaves to join the Union as United States Colored Troop Soldiers. In 1865, another stone, Congress passed the 13th Amendment to the United States Constitution, which officially abolished slavery in the United States of America, but it opened up the door to mass incarceration and the prison industrial complex that exploits black men to this day. On May 18, 1896, there was a stone. The United States Supreme Court issued a verdict to uphold separate but equal segregation in the Plessy versus Ferguson case. So the United States said it's legal to be segregated and separated. On May 17, 1954, a stone. The United States Supreme Court overturned Plessy versus Ferguson in the Brown versus Board of Education case, which outlawed segregation in public schools. This effort was led by African-American attorney Thurgood Marshall, who went on to become the first black justice on the United States Supreme Court. God's in control of history. He's redeeming. On August 28th, 1955, after progress, you can expect pushback. After progress, push back. There's a stone, a 14-year-old boy named Emmett Till was brutally murdered in Mississippi and his body dumped in the Tallahatchie River for allegedly whistling at a white woman. His mother, Mamie Till, decided to have an open casket funeral so that the world could see what racism did to her son. But Till's murder became a rallying point for the civil rights movement. Because later that year, on December 1st, 1955, another stone. Rosa Parks was arrested in Birmingham, Alabama for refusing to give up her seat to a white man as she sat in the colored section. A 381-day boycott ensued, led by a young Baptist preacher named Martin Luther King Jr. And this boycott eventually overturned segregation on buses. 
Well, on February 13, 1960, there was a stone, a local stone, led by Diane Nash, John Lewis, James Bevel, and Reverend C.T. Vivian, 124 college students from Fisk University, American Baptist College, Meharry Medical College, and Tennessee State University conducted lunch counter sit-ins in Nashville's Central Business District to protest racialized segregation. And for seven weeks, hundreds of students were arrested, beaten, and abused while participating in this boycott. And on April 19th, 1960, there was a stone. Nashville civil rights attorney Alexander Luby's home was bombed, and the shock waves from the bomb shattered 147 windows across the street at Meharry Medical College. That afternoon, Thousands of African-American and Caucasian-American protesters silently marched to the courthouse and confronted Mayor Ben West, who affirmed the wickedness of racial segregation, and he agreed that lunch counters should be desegregated. On April 20th, 1960, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., spoke at Fisk University, and he said, and I quote, I came to Nashville not to bring inspiration, but to gain inspiration from the great movement that has taken place in this community. On May 10th, 1960, there was another stone, and Nashville became the first southern city to begin desegregating its public places. Nashville, right here. We're not finished with 1960 because during the summer of 1960, there was another stone. While competing in Rome for the Summer Olympics, TSU Tiger Bell, Wilma Rudolph, became the first American woman to win three gold medals. Her native city of Clarksville, Tennessee, welcomed her home with a banquet and a parade. But she protested by saying she would not attend any of these events if they were segregated. Clarksville officials eventually capitulated, and Wilma Rudolph's celebration became the first desegregated event held in the city of Clarksville, Tennessee. And on April 16th, 1963, there was another stone. Martin Luther King Jr. was arrested while peacefully demonstrating in Birmingham, and he wrote his letter from a Birmingham jail that rebuked white moderate ministers for questioning his tactics in confronting racial injustice. On May 3rd, 1963, another stone. Several college students from Nashville journeyed to Birmingham, Alabama to join other young people to march in the Children's Crusade. Hundreds of demonstrators were arrested, jailed, and beaten with police batons. City Commissioner Bull Connor turned the fire hoses and police dogs loose on the demonstrators, and all of this was televised. On August 28th of 1963, there was another stone. 
Over 250,000 people from around the country converged on Washington, D.C. to hear this young Baptist preacher talk about a dream that he had. And in that speech, Dr. King said, with this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. On September 15th, 1963, after progress that was pushed back, and the 16th Street Baptist Church was bombed by the Ku Klux Klan in Birmingham, Alabama, killing four young girls, Addie Mae Collins, Cynthia Wesley, Carol Robertson, and Denise McNair. On July 2nd, 1964, there was another stone the Civil Rights Act was finally passed, ending segregation in public places and banning employment discrimination on the basis of race, color, religion, sex, or national origin. In 1965, there were several stones, as I tell my people's history. In January, Martin Luther King and the Southern Christian Leadership Conference were invited to Selma, Alabama, because Southern states and their legislators had passed and maintained a series of discriminating requirements that disenfranchised African Americans to gain their constitutional right to vote. So they would put up all these tests and things, hoops to jump through, that many of the people, if they failed on one portion of the test, they were not allowed to vote. This was discrimination because if you can't vote, you don't have power. So on February 26, 1965, activist and church deacon Jimmy Lee Jackson died after being shot by a state trooper during a peaceful march. James Bevel, who also has roots in Nashville of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, he called for a dramatic 54-mile march from Selma to Montgomery for African Americans to gain their constitutional right to vote. And the first march took place on March 7th, 1965, which became known as Bloody Sunday. And this was when state troopers attacked unarmed marchers with bullwhips, nightsticks, and tear gas at the edge of leaving the Edmund Pettus Bridge. And a young man had his skull fractured that day. This man would also go on to one day be a United States congressman, and you know the man that I'm speaking of. The second march took place on March 9th, 1965. John Lewis is who I was speaking of. Took place on March 9th, 1965, and the troopers, police, and marchers confronted each other on the Edmund Pettus Bridge. And when the troopers stepped aside to the marchers to let them pass, Martin Luther King led the marchers back into the church. And on that night, a mob beat and murdered James Reeb, a white minister from Boston who had come to Selma to join the march. The third march occurred on March 21st, 1965, and 25,000 people in support of voting rights arrived in Montgomery at the state capitol four days later on March 24th, 1965. 
And on August 6, 1965, there was a stone. The Voting Rights Act was passed, prohibiting racial discrimination in voting. 1966, another stone. This was the first year that high school African Americans in Nashville participated in the TSSAA. The undefeated Pearl High School became the first all African American team to win the state basketball tournament. And on that team was all American Perry Wallace and he chose to attend Vanderbilt University becoming the first African-American scholarship athlete to play basketball in the SEC. And he didn't have a lot of good nights going into Mississippi, going into Alabama, even going to UT Knoxville to play. The things he heard yelled at him on the court, as you could probably comprehend, affected him deeply. On April 4th, 1968, there was a stone. Martin Luther King Jr. was murdered in Memphis, Tennessee. And the drum major for justice was silenced by an assassin's bullet at the age of 39. As a result of his assassination, riots broke out all across the country as America mourned the man who said, if physical death, death is the price that I must pay to free my white brothers and sisters from a permanent death of the spirit, then nothing can be more redemptive. 1968, almost 51 years ago, the year that I was born, Dr. King was assassinated. But 40 years later, on November 4th, 2008, there was a stone. Barack Obama became the first African-American president of the United States, and he went on to serve two terms. That's huge. I can hear Langston Hughes saying, God of our weary years, God of our silent tears, thou who has brought us thus far on the way, thou who has by thy might led us into the light, keep us forever in the path, we pray. So the stones tell the story. The stones tell the story. But before I let you go, I got one more stone that's greater, bigger, and more important than every stone we just talked about from 1619 all the way to the present. And that stone is the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Because without that stone, Without us building our lives on that stone, we're building on sinking sand. And that stone, Jesus Christ said, upon this rock, I will build my church. 
and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I give unto you the keys of the kingdom to bind and to loose. And according to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, as pertains to this church that Jesus is building, it's also called a spiritual house. And this house is comprised of living stones. And these living stones range in size, color, and shape. I just want to know, is there a living stone in the house? Is there anybody that's part of this building, part of this church? He is the living stone. We are living stones in him. And he's building us up in the church to be a house for his glory. And in this house, we got male stones and female stones. And there are young stones and old stones. You can keep the gall stones, but I hope there are some rich stones and some poor stones and some black stones and some white stones, some red stones, some yellow stones, some brown stones, some rolling stones. Even got a few flint stones up in this house of the Lord. And these stones are our history. These stones are American history. They're black history. They are world history. And the good news is that God is not finished with the story of redeeming mankind because the rock of ages is still making history because history is his story. Let's stand for prayer. Amen. I wasn't taught that in school. Surely wasn't taught it in seminary. But that's no excuse to not know your history. Be proud of who you are. Be proud of who you come from. And even if you've got some challenges in your family tree, once again, God is a redeemer. Jesus' family tree has prostitutes in it adulterers in it, murderers in it. The people he came from is just a picture of the people he came for. That's us. So the good news today is that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. If there's anybody here today who wants to be saved, You're tired of trying to be right with God on your own. You're tired of trying to do religious stuff. Religious stuff won't get you to God. God came to you so that you could get to him. Jesus came. He died on the cross for all the mistakes that we make, all the sins that we commit, the things that separate us from God. He took your penalty of eternal death. Because he loves you. And the Bible says that if you repent, which means to turn to him and say, Jesus, thank you for dying for me so that I wouldn't have to die and go to hell. I accept you. I believe in you. I receive you as my Savior. Be my Lord. Be my God. Be my King. And the Bible says that if you shall call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. So if you're not saved, today is the day of salvation. All you have to do is say like that thief on the cross, Lord, remember me. Lord, save me. Lord, save me. And today will be the day you begin again. Today will be the day you're born again.
If you prayed that prayer or you want to pray that prayer, just tap me on my shoulder. Say, Pastor, I prayed that prayer today. Thank you for sharing the good news with me. 99% of us in this room had to pray that prayer at some point to begin our journey with Jesus. So glad he walks with us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for connecting the dots, for connecting the stones of our history. Even with Israel, you ordained captivity. Even with Israel, you ordained bondage and slavery. And out of those painful realities, you brought much hope and ultimately salvation. Even when Stephen said his people had been oppressed over and over again in Acts 7, that oppression was not greater than the plan that you had for your people. In every people group on this face of this earth, we have not only been oppressed, we have oppressed. None of us are innocent. We've all fallen short of your glory. But we just want to thank you for being a loving God, a kind God, a good God, a forgiving God, a God who's in control of history. And we read the last chapter, and we know this thing is going to work out all right. Help the person right now, Lord, who's struggling to make ends meet. Help the person right now, Lord, who's struggling in a relationship. Help the person right now who's struggling with suicidal thoughts. Help the person right now who's in a broken relationship. Help the person right now who's trying to adopt a child but doesn't have the means. Would you help your people? We have so many needs, and I'm so glad you know what we have need of before we ask. And we don't have to wait for church to come to you. We don't have to wait to hear a sermon to hear from you. You're with us all the time. If we just look up to the hills from whence cometh our help, our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Lord, I pray that you would flex for your people. I pray, Lord, that your people would see your power displayed. I pray, Lord, that you would do miracles, that you would heal bodies that are disease-ridden and sick. I pray, Lord, that you'll bless folk where they need to be blessed because you're able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ever ask or think. And thank you for the power that you gave to live in us through the person of the Holy Spirit. We just want to stay plugged into him so you can operate through us. Bless this church and bless this food that we're about to receive. Bless the table fellowship. Thank you that our children will be able to just run and have fun. Thank you that we'll get to get caught up with one another. Thank you for those who are preparing the food. Thank you for the money to provide the food. May we be patient if it's not ready right then. May we help clean up God and not just expect to be served, but may we be servants in the house of God. We love you. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen, amen. I was told to delay a little bit because they had to, you know, get a few things. So I said, oh, I, I got a couple of extra minutes. I'll take it. All right, you are now dismissed, and hopefully everything is good down in the fellowship hall. Blessings to you. If you got born again today, holler at me. Let me know.